Welcome to De-Stress Your Business, the podcast where we show you how to get incredible results in your business without constant stress. I'm Alexis Kingsbury, a serial entrepreneur uh, with, uh, and founder at Air Manual, and I'm joined by my co-founder and co-host, Paddy Mann. Paddy, hi. Good morning. Good morning. So yesterday uh, we gave uh, we explored some tra- practical tips on how a business leader or owner can free up a lot of their time. And the first step was to simply to prioritize the areas that uh, they need to delegate. So today I want to open up that uh, a little further and uh, give those people listening some examples of the types of tasks that uh, they could be delegating. So. To do this, we're going to look at each area of our own business and uh, talk um, talk about what worked when we were looking to delegate, uh, but also what didn't. Uh, We're going to be covering uh, sales, engineering, finance, data security and IT, HR, marketing, uh, all the key functions in the business. And so uh, at the end, end, we'll summarize a few rules uh, that you can apply when looking for those tasks that you need to be delegating. So um, if it's okay with you, Paddy, I'll perhaps start with sales. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, cool. So this is, um, I think this is a good place to start because it's often one of the first areas that you uh, really need to delegate in your business. Because if things are going well, if, if you're getting some sales into business, which is where you should be generally starting off with, is proving that there's a market for your business and that people are willing to pay money for it. Um, that's where, where you often start is, is uh, recruiting and hiring into that area, even if it's admin tasks in that area. And so... Typically, what we've seen work really well is when you get very clear about what's the sales process that you're using that works. How are you uh, attracting your leads? How are you then qualifying them? How are you then following up with them to perhaps arrange a first uh, to arrange that first sales conversation? Uh, then on that sales conversation or a discovery call, what are the questions that you're asking and uh, how you're using the question, the answers to those to then relate it to how you might be able to solve uh, your product or service can solve their uh, their biggest problems and uh, and present them with a, a, an offer and a price and all that kind of stuff that that uh, that's going to be uh, uh, amenable to them. And so I think. The mistake that certainly uh, I've made in the past while trying to do this area, and I know many other business owners that have done the same, is putting too much weight on hiring a really experienced salesperson and not giving them the, this is how we sell and this is what's worked for us. And so uh, certainly, you know, we did that back when I, when we hired our first salesperson uh, and it cost us a lot of money as a result and we had to make redundancies, which was really, really painful. Whereas... Now, like for across my businesses, when we're hiring into sales roles, we're typically looking for values fit and enthusiasm and clarity of communication. And if they've got those things, whether or not they've had sales experience and so on becomes less important for us because we give them the process. We give them the uh, the, the knowledge, the understanding, the steps that you go through, the questions to ask so that they can support someone uh, through that process. Now, that's not to say you can't then build on that with sales skills or that when you recruit into that area uh, that, uh, that you don't want someone with experience, but like um, it's really powerful when you do that. And so in terms of the, the tasks that you're delegating, uh, you've got obviously got that, um, that discovery call, that sales call, but then all the follow-up. And in general, I, w- I would argue that it should include uh, sending invoices as well. I think that I've seen many businesses where they kind of anything financey, like sending an invoice or even chasing payments, they pass over to finance. But then I see that there's a disconnect where it, for the salesperson, it's almost like, oh, yeah, they said, yeah, they'd go ahead. Therefore, my job is done. 
And actually, there's a hundred reasons why someone might not then go ahead and pay the invoice and, and all those sorts of things. So I think um, you don't want those drop balls. That all needs to be part of it uh, in that process. So those are some of the, um, the key tasks that I'd see that need to be delegated. Anything else I've missed there, Paddy? Otherwise, uh, perhaps you could take on engineering. Well, I'll add one thing to the sales because I often see new customers coming in and they express this concern about delegating sales, especially when it's a business leader or owner who's doing it all. And they're worried that you can't, you can't uh, delegate or train a junior resource to have a good sales conversation, mm-hmm. um, that they're not going to be able to get the same results as the business owner. And I guess the thing I'll share is that just isn't true. It will require you to systemize how that call works in a way which you're not currently and work out what the steps are that you're taking in that call that work for you. And there are loads of great books that also take a very kind of clear format about how you quickly introduce your own business and your offering uh, and then turn it around to ask questions so you get a load of context around their business before going through the other uh, steps on the call, including, you know, Uh, the demo or the offer or or whatever Um, but it really is possible to systemize that it's not about making it robotic most of that sales conversation will normally be questions and responding to what the uh, person you're selling to is telling you and about helping them their challenges so it's not about being robotic but there is and can be and should be a structure and actually uh, we found both in our own business and with the people that were helping that putting that in place not only has it allowed them to delegate but it's also allowed them to get better results in their sales calls because yeah. they have to look at what, what the best practices are for how to structure it because there are, there are ways to do that. Yeah, and, and generally are more consistent with their follow-up as well. You know, I'm, uh, I, I love having conversations with customers and exploring how we can solve their needs and so on. Um, but as a bit of a classic entrepreneur, I'm not great at making sure that I'm always rigorous in the follow-up and follow things and do things by the book. Yet the team are, <laughs> and as a result, they, in many cases, they get better results, as, uh, isn't it? Uh, and I think that's a good point. I really like your point as well around the, it's not about making them robotic. I think a lot of people worry about creating the process because they think, oh, this is a sales script that, you know, that, that, you know, you get in call centers and it just feels so false. And actually the best salespeople have a script, but it's not about creating something that you say and commit to slavishly, regardless of what's going on. That's what feels robotic and fake. It's about having, as you say, having a structure that you that, and the process that you go through. And actually, that's great for the customer because they want to be guided. Like they, they um, I had a conversation with uh, a great salesperson yesterday who, uh, and he literally starts off with, okay, this, this is what I want to do. I want to talk about where you're at now, where you're looking to get to. And, you know, I suddenly feel like, ah, oh, I can relax as the, on the customer side of that because I'm going to be taken through this journey. Whereas when you get someone who just turns up and it's like, Hey, yeah, you know, how are you doing? What are you up to? Like, have you had a good holiday? Da, da, da. Like, I, I don't know where this is going. And as a result, as the customer side, I feel like I've got to take charge of the conversation. And that's the worst thing that can happen to you for the sales side. So, um, yeah, I, I completely agree. Cool. Uh, perhaps let's jump over to engineering. Yeah, let's do it. So in our business, we're talking software engineering and all the parts of the business that supports that. So we've got um, the development teams, we've got DevOps, which is to do with the servers. We've got tech support, uh, helping our customers when challenges appear. Now, there, there's a lot of opportunity for, for delegation, but I think the... 
Uh, and the obvious ones are perhaps in kind of tech support, where there's a kind of really routine kind of series of steps that you need to take to deal with a specific customer problem. Now, the ones that delivered the most value weren't around tech support, it was around the actual software engineering uh, and the development. And that was because that's where the team was spending most of their hours and time and where the most issues would come up and where I needed to spend most of my time with supporting them. And it's interesting because a lot of people kind of struggle with it. It's like, how how would you systemize? How would you start delegating software engineering? Because it's so, the tasks aren't the same. You're working on new features every mm. uh, every time. You, it's a whole new design, a whole new ball game, a whole new set of technical challenges. But what you need to separate is the process from the project. So the project might be today we're going to do a marketing uh, website, and that's what we're going to de develop or We've got a project which is around a new API or some hardware, but there's going to be a series of steps which you need to take each time, regardless of the project. And that's what you can systemize and build in those processes. So what we did is we went through the whole uh, SDLC, the software development lifecycle, and, and did the lot. So it starts with how to... Um, prepare for and design and hand over a, a process. We uh, include how to uh, define acceptance criteria at the start of the mm -hmm. uh, at the start before you've started development, which is an amazing way to hand over uh, and then gets everyone in sync between the, the, the you know, the people designing it, the product owner and the uh, development team. And, and, to be and to be clear on that, like acceptance criteria is the definition of what what will it take before we accept that this is done right it's it's kind of the agreeing those requirements up front it is it is and actually that's something we've rolled out across other areas of the business mm. in in software development we then turn those into automated tests uh, that's another story um then there's a, a process for how to develop and the steps that you're going to need to go through then uh then we've got a peer review process where you uh ask a colleague to review your solution and it's not just looking at the code it's looking at the architecture it's looking about whether you've delivered on those acceptance criteria it's about testing in various different ways uh checking the security all those things which often get forgetting forgotten and if you miss them they will either uh take a load of my time when i'm reviewing or they're going to take a hell of a lot of time from the whole team because they pop up after you've released it and then you've got an issue to to deal with so we put all those steps into the peer review we actually, if I t go back a step, we uh, make the person who's doing it do a self-review of their own solution before it goes to a peer review. And we found that saved a huge amount of time, uh, both at the peer review stage, but of the kind of the back and forth, the table, the ping pong between the, the two parties. Then there's a process for um, how to do UAT, uh, so user acceptance testing, where we tested it actually, uh, the product owner is happy that it delivers what we set out to achieve. Uh, and another process for release. Uh, beyond that, there's loads of processes for how to set up servers, how to do tech support and so on. But it was that SDLC um, that gave us the biggest benefits at the at the start. And it looked like the hardest area to systemize, but mm. boy, did it pay off. Yeah, and I love that. And I, I want to throw in a couple of things. And um, one is a, a point, and then the second's a question for you, Paddy. So the, the first is that when you describe that, it reminds me 
um, of other businesses where it's not software development, but the the challenges are very similar. So the the group that comes to mind are like marketing agencies. So maybe they're doing copywriting, maybe they're a, a branding agency or their website development company or whatever it is. And uh, often when I speak to those business owners, they say, oh, well, you know, every project's very different and as a, and we're very creative people and, you know, some are very technical and so da, da, da. And so you have all that. So, oh, I'm not sure whether, you know, having checklists and processes uh, would help. But of course, exactly as you've described, like defining those requirements, those acceptance criteria up front and having all of that, that's absolutely critical to making sure that you don't end up derailing and going off on uh, um, different areas. Which brings me to the question, which is, I think some people might listen to what you've described with the software development lifecycle and, and even if they're then thinking how they apply it to a non-engineering uh, case and they might feel like, oh, well, that sounds like writing a lot of red tape. There's a lot of additional steps there. Can't we just get on and develop? So um, what, what would you say, you know, why, why, what's been the impact of having that in place versus uh, the alternative? Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny that it, it sounds like red tape. When it's done well, the rules that you put in place free you up to be mm. creative. It actually removes that, that burden because it gives you an agreed uh, philosophy, an agreed set of standards that the team are saying, as long as you do this, as long as you go through these steps and meet these standards, then you're golden. Yeah. And once you've agreed those kind of... A, standards across the team you can then work around those and, and use your creativity at each step of the process and i i love it it g gives me so much more freedom when i know that the stuff i'm going to do and invest hours of my time uh, designing at night or whatever that the process will support me so that when it comes across to alexis he's going to be able to review it and give feedback at the right level so sometimes he needs to give feedback about the goal. What am I even doing? Sometimes he needs to give feedback about where I'm looking for inspiration. Sometimes yeah. it's going to be about the high-level stuff or the low-level stuff. Before we put these processes in place, then uh, I would basically do a, a ton of work, uh, hand it over, and Alexis would be like, okay, there's some fundamental issues here. I don't want to affect <laughs> Daddy. Uh, sure. I can see that he's invested a lot of time in here. Yeah, he's really got an old sweat going on. What do I say? And it's it's actually it works the opposite way. It gives you gives you structure so that you can then shine within each of those stages. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And of course, particularly when you're in creative endeavors like that, where there is so much room for tangents and so on. And you know, it frankly, it hurts your feelings, right? When when you worked literally for nights, days, whatever to produce something, and then you identify like, oh no, this is complete tangent. This is all wasted work. That feels horrible. Whereas when you've gone through a process, like the, your your risk of doing that is much much lower. So I love that. Cool. Really really good. Let's um let's move on to another area then. So uh, an area that I've always loved systemizing is finance because it's an area that a lot of business owners um, hate. Frankly, <laughs> they they would prefer to abdicate from it completely, just pass it over to someone else. And yet, I think one of the big traits that I see in successful business owners and those that are growing faster and so on is that they know the numbers. They're all over the finances. They understand cash flow. They understand their profit and loss statement. They understand their balance sheet and they understand how, how all those come together to tell the story of the business. And so uh, it's an area that as a business owner, you mustn't abdicate from. However, you can certainly delegate the day to day and you can delegate those steps. And in fact, 
by doing so, it can give it, it can make the picture of finance much easier to read. For example, some of the processes that I delegated first, because for a long time I was basically finance, right? Like Paddy, you managed, <laughs> you, you, you did well to be a co-founder with me, right? Because you managed to completely avoid most of it. Um, and so, uh, firstly, things like sending invoices and so on, and move that over to sales. But on the finance side, the daily bank reconciliations was was something like where you know we'd have a customer who pays into our bank account. And my salespeople were saying, well, have we had the money? You know, the customer now says that they've paid and so on. And so I would then have to go and check on the bank account and go, oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, they have paid. And then they'd say, oh, but it doesn't show us paid in our accounting systems. So I go, I know I haven't done the reconciliations yet and so on. And it's those kind of things. And when, when, I st when I then delegated and handed that over, it means that you've probably got like a, it's probably only 10 to 15 minutes every day that needed doing. But that time over a long period and the derails that it was causing for me were huge. And so I handed over things like bank reconciliations, um, paying our suppliers and uh, employees and contractors and so on on a fortnightly basis, uh, doing our um, uh, uh, payroll, uh, doing our uh, VAT returns, all those sorts of things. They, uh, I documented them all as I did them. And then I was able to bring in a finance administrator who with zero finance expertise. They were um, a maths grad, one of the most amazing hires I've ever made because uh, they came in with just such raw talent and uh, were able in a really short period of time, like two days, they were able to take uh, uh, free up about a day of my time a week. And, uh, and then the following another couple of weeks and they would take I was freeing up two and a half days from all the financing tasks that I was doing. But even better than that, They've then been able to take on things like cash flow forecasting and and forecasting, like doing revenue forecasting, diving in and helping with marketing analytics. And because we just agree, what's the aim? What are we trying to do? And then we t we turn it into a series of steps that they can support. And so it's not just about the freeing up the time there. And it's not even just about the getting your cash in quickly and, and so on. It's about the clarity on your numbers and being able to steer your business in the right direction and know what's working, where you need to reduce costs and so on. So much faster faster because you're not having to wait for an accountant at the end like six months after your end of your financial year to find out that actually you've been loss making and you need to make some changes like that's uh, that's been absolutely crucial for us yeah finance is a really interesting one it's um as you say a lot of business owners don't want to spend their their time yeah. there let alone thinking about documenting it but document it for yourself and you will love yourself next time around i i have a process which i have to do um i'm living in sweden i have to fill in swedish uh uh paye pay as you earn forms and annual forms and i am so grateful for, that i've documented exactly what i need to do I, i've got this step which says uh there's a big scary button that appears now don't worry it's nothing to worry about just click okay or whatever okay because <laughs> it's, in swedish. Uh, it's all in swedish right yeah, yeah. I, I don't know, but every time I see that, I go, <laughs> and then, oh, take a sip of tea, carry on. Um, but yeah, it's not one that people like doing, but finance is a natural, it's an easy one. You don't have to think, really think about it in the same way. There's less creative work. The yeah. steps in the finance tasks are perfectly uh, aligned with writing an SOP, yeah. which brings us nicely onto data security in IT, mm. which is an area I'm, I'm, I'm doing. And I'd say it's the same. So in data security, we need to do uh, a lot of training up teams. So we create an SOP for them to go through uh, training. So they're aware of what our, our data security uh, standards are. And then there's a lot of SOPs. So we have to check over 
vulnerabilities in our software. We have to check our backups. Uh, here's a classic one. Check your backup uh, backups work. When did you last do that? Well, I can say that we're doing it routinely because it's an SOP which we've uh, set up to be something which is run. Mm. Um, I'll have to check the time. I think it's once every few months. Uh, and so we, we have great confidence that this mm. is happening. And both in data security and IT, every almost every part of it lends itself to just being a checklist which can be handed down and you you start with the ones that are uh, either causing the most pain immediately or pose the biggest risk to your business uh and and work through and deal 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 with it uh one area that comes up when we're doing day security is how to deal with incidents when everything falls over um and though it doesn't come up when it does uh, doesn't come up often but when it does come up it is one of my favorite processes in the uh, in the entire business. All right, let's just look at it. It's one of the worst things to happen, right? <laughs> it's ah. really, yeah, like it's some kind of incident. Yeah. Uh, should we go on to HR? Yeah, and uh, and it's interesting because I think um, HR brings together a few things that we've covered already. Like it's HR has got some elements of finance, you know, things that need to be done on a regular mm -hmm. basis. Uh, that um, and 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 a bit like data security and IT, you've got some tasks that actually the space, uh, the amount of time in between when you need to run it makes it so long that um, it's very easy to forget. And so um, that's an, an, another great thing to like have delegated as a as a business leader is stuff like that is easy to forget but really painful if you do. Um, like for example, in our case, I remember a mistake that I made where I wasn't reminding. Uh, any people to take holiday and as a result we got to the end of the holiday year and suddenly everyone wants to use up their allowance which as we provide everyone with 40 days holiday ends up being a lot um, and I think I calculated the cost of that mistake at over 25,000 pounds so having someone regularly and in fact it used to be monthly I saw that the uh, RHR team recently decided that they're going to change it to fortnightly they they put out a regular reminder of here's what you've currently used here's your allocation and they uh, nudge people that haven't taken it and I think having those processes so that you're always doing that so I think there's one side of it which is those recurring a bit like finance and data security IT but there's another whole part of HR around recruitment and onboarding which is actually more like kind of sales it's essentially how are you taking leads except in HR you'd call them candidates and how are you taking them through a process in which you're learning about them and qualifying whether they'd be a good fit for you, but also they're trying to decide whether you'd be a good fit for them. So there's an element of that, that kind of two-way sales process. And so in a similar way to we talked about with sales, you need that those kind of scripts for how to do interviews and how you have those conversations and, and the comms that needs to go at each stage of a recruitment process. And then when you get to onboarding, when you've made someone an offer and they've accepted, how do you then make sure that they're going to actually turn up on day one? You'd be surprised at how many business owners I speak to where they go, oh, yeah, I, you know, I thought I had a really good hire and they didn't show up. That's not a good sign, is it? And a lot of that is down to. So what nurturing did you do? How did you make sure that they were supported on the line? And of course, the answer is we didn't. They accepted the offer. We agreed a date. We assumed that they'd turn up. Now, of course, that's that feels crazy for us, right? Because we've got onboarding process that include like sending them a gift 
uh, before they even join and uh, sharing our journey and our vision and values and getting them to sign our NDA and doing all these sorts of things all before they even join on their first day. And then we have the onboarding process that they go through so that they feel supported, empowered uh, and, uh, and like they've got that group around them that really want them to succeed. Um, but also not stopping there, making sure that that person is then able to start adding value in the role. So there's that's it, uh, as an area, HR, I think, is often overlooked by business owners and kind of just seen as, oh, yeah, HR issues, you know, when someone's complaining or whatever. And actually, HR is such a powerful lever, a little bit like, you know, finance can be in that ultimately your success as a business comes down to how effectively and, and or, um, how uh, high performing your teams are. And so HR is all about how you how you do that. And so having those processes to make sure that you're consistent with people, um, because that's another thing is fair treatment, like making sure that you, you're equitable and, and so on across. Uh, it's really, really important to have those those processes. So delegating that a frees up a load of time, but B means you can play at a much higher level than you'd otherwise be able to do if you kind of felt like, oh, I'm responsible for HR and therefore I, can, I have to do the bare minimum. Um, any other thoughts on that? To... Well, let's go to marketing. Yeah, I think we're going to have to have a few more episodes, particularly yeah. on HR, because it's uh, a whole world. It's not just freeing up your time when you delegate it for the first time. It's freeing up your time from having to recruit new people when mm. you have failed them because you haven't supported them during the onboarding, during the uh, their life cycle as an employee. Marketing's a, an interesting one. I'm just going to touch really briefly on it because there's loads of stuff you can delegate. And so some of the stuff at the moment, we're, we're running a new pod, podcast. So we're uh, writing out the processes for how to, to create the podcast, how to prepare for it, how to follow up after it, how to um, repurpose our content and get it out onto different channels. The point I want to raise about marketing is that I've been in leading marketing and engineering. I know engineering really, really well. I don't know marketing as well, and I'm learning it uh, sometimes as I go along. That means that while engineering is my strength, that is the area that I can delegate mm. effectively and manage it. So even though I am a pretty good developer and can do, frankly, everything in engineering, I've done it at some point, yeah. that's got to be the area that I, I delegate to someone else because marketing, which isn't my strength, is an area where we need leadership focusing on making sure it works. And that essentially means I've got to learn it. And until I've learned it and understood what's working and uh, what steps should be involved in each task, it's really, really difficult to, to delegate. And I'll, I'll put my hands up, tried it a few times, uh, and it keeps kicking me in the ass because when I, when I haven't got clear myself on, on what the expectations are or, or mm. how I'm expecting how to do it, I struggle to manage. I struggle to acknowledge. Sometimes they've done some really clever stuff, but it's unclear to me exactly which bits are working and which aren't. Uh, and so there is, you can delegate so much in, in marketing. You can create the processes for how to do creative content. Uh, you can set your brand guidelines. So everyone knows what's expected. You can create all these processes for creating content and repurposing. But for me personally, when I've been doing it, the important thing has been to make sure I understand what good looks like and how I would approach it before trying to do it because otherwise I can't manage it. Yeah, no, I love that. It remind, it makes me think of the, um, funny enough, there are parallels with finance, which you might be surprised by because I think 
that uh, a lot of business owners fall into either the camp where they love marketing and actually that's they're kind of if anything growing almost too quickly that they're at risk of growing broke because they just are pump managing their you know they're working the facebook machine and they're pumping money in and so on and so for them they need to be uh, handing that over so they can free up time to go and sort out things like the finances and the operations and so on, because that's letting the business down, right? They're bringing in leads, but they're not converting, or they're bringing in leads and getting sales, but those those are resulting in refunds, or they're not getting the cash in, or they're not doing it profitably. And so uh, I think there's a kind of a group of business leaders around that side. And then there's a group where I think um, we would both fall more into, which is that actually we're much more comfortable with uh, the, the operations, the delivery, the, the sales and, and making sure we're delivering for clients, making sure it's turning into cash, managing the finances and the marketing is more of a weakness. And I think for that group, the, ten, the risk or the tendency is to think, oh, I just wish I could just outsource this to an agency. Why can't I just give all of this to someone else? And I'm yet to meet a business owner who said, oh, yeah, I've got this amazing agency. I just hand it over to them and they got me all the results. Like I, I've been doing We've been doing this a long time. I've been working with businesses 17 years. We've been running our own for 12. I'm yet to, uh, and I've met hundreds, possibly over a thousand, you know, thousands of business owners. And yet I'm yet to meet someone in that situation. And it's because you, you have, there's so much that's in your head that you have to provide that agency or that marketing manager or whoever you hire or whatever in terms of the story, in terms of the vision and who the ideal customer is. Like you're knitting together so much of your understanding of the business that needs to come together. So it might be that the agency can then make sure it shows up in a really stylish way on Facebook or that it turns into a good landing page or whatever. But ultimately, you've got to be all over it. And so... I think uh, it's a great area to, to, to delegate, but you've got to avoid the same, same as finance. You've got to avoid the abdication because that is the, the temptation, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Frankly, you see it everywhere. It's, yeah. you, you've got to look at what your strengths are as a business leader. Actually go, I'm as strong at this enough that I can manage and then lead that area. I have to stop doing that. And I have to work out how to do the, the other areas, which brings us brilliantly, I think, just to start kind of summarize, mm. what are the general things that you should be looking at, regardless of where you are, what level you are in the um, in the business? Uh, what kind of tasks should you be considering delegating? Yeah. Um, and so, so I think, you know, ge generally, we'd say, um, recurring tasks are great, you know, the ones that are coming up frequently. Um, then once you've done some of those, you can do the ones that come up less frequently uh, as you go over over time. Um, generally, you know, 15 minutes spent documenting uh, some of those steps for like filing the annual, annual returns like we talked about before. You know, you then really appreciate uh, yourself in the uh, yourself in the past when you then come around to do it. Right. You're doing your your year end self-assessment or whatever. And you go, oh, cool. I've got a checklist that I created for myself back then. So you're not having to relearn it all over again. So even creating a checklist for yourself and never mind then delegating it. Um, I think also you need to be. Uh, delegating tasks that you'd be confident doing yourself and are therefore able to manage someone else doing like once you've worked out how to sell or once you've worked out how to make sure that you're recruiting the right people into the organization that's a great time to then hand it over because then you can manage by results you know what you're expecting to come out of the machine and therefore if that's not happening you can go back and look at how that needs to be improved um, and that does uh, that does mean that in some cases you'll be handing over things that are your strengths at least temporarily or at least 
like if you know if sales is your strength, it might be that you're passing more sales around you so that you're at least able to step out of that, even if you then do spend a lot of time in there. You know, we talked about Paddy with you being an excellent engineer, but it's one of the areas that we delegate so that you can be freed up to do design and marketing and, uh, and so on. Another area that I think is great to delegate is quality reviews. You know, it's, a, it's an easy one to uh, assume um, that you need to do, but actually it's not the case. Typically, you can come up with a set of criteria that you're looking at, as Paddy talked about earlier, um, uh, you know, to, to make sure that it's easy to just identify whether things are being done correctly. Um, and then management tasks as well, like going up a level. It doesn't you don't just need to delegate those kind of activity and coalface stuff. Um, you know, populating dashboards, facilitating meetings, even getting to the point where it's like managing people, doing one-to-ones, doing performance reviews. All of those things can be um, made simpler, turned into checklists and handed over and delegated to other people so that they can run it. One of my favorite things is the fact that um, our managers in the team are described as the best managers that their direct reports have ever had. And, it, you know, I love that because it means that we didn't hire them because they were great managers. Of course, they're great people That's uh, um, and they're a good fit with our values, but they're following a process that means they're able to do a really good job. Um, in terms of the bad tasks to dele- delegate, I think, you know, one-off tasks where there's a lot of effort to do the handover, therefore managing it exceeds the time that you're saving, um, but also tasks that you're not confident doing yourself. You know, the areas that we talked about before where you're abdicating things where you're you're not sure what the outcome should look like or what the steps should look like. And so you just throw it over to someone else and hope that they will come up uh, and give you uh, the result that you magically didn't even know you wanted. Uh, that's a painful experience and takes a lot of time and money. Uh, any other tips, Paddy? Probably just uh, two, two, two things I'd add to that. So firstly, don't hold back if you because you think you've hired people to do a specific task and it's not the task mm-hmm. you need to, to delegate. Uh, we've actually got loads of examples where, where firstly, we did hold back uh, and you, for example, held the finance very close to yourself yeah. because we hadn't hired anyone in finance, but we had hired people in sales uh, and it actually just took a conversation to identify there were people there who were really interested to learn about other areas of the business yeah. and wanted to get involved and had the types of skills that we needed to to do that. Uh, numerous examples, but yeah, don't. Don't hold back. Have a conversation with the people below you. They're often keen to take on new responsibilities and identify it. And the tasks which you are identifying, you're doing so often that uh, it's easy easy to delegate. The second one is don't hold back from handing over the tasks that you think are boring or repetitive. Just because you think they're boring and repetitive, um, well, firstly, the people you're delegating to, they probably haven't done it before, and therefore to them it's a chance to learn and grow, and it gives them experiences in, in the business that they won't have had before and looks great on their CV, is useful for their career, is useful for them as they want to progress in the company. They will often take those with open arms. Um, uh, even if they don't, they will look at you stupidly uh, as, being, as being stupid if they see that you are spending all your time yeah. doing tasks which they could do themselves. If they're not getting your time to do the the high impact reviews or or support or mentoring or coaching that they need, and you are spending all your time sending invoices or doing some other repetitive task, they will they will raise questions and quite rightly. 
Yeah, I love that. Completely agree. Fantastic. Well, that's all we've got time for. But if you want to, uh, if people want to learn more about uh, this kind of stuff, I highly recommend joining our weekly webinar. It's every Wednesday at 1pm UK time, or at least normally on Wednesdays at 1pm uh, on uh, UK time. And uh, in it, we show you how to free up 15 hours per week and remove the constant stress of running a business without slowing down growth. To find out more and to register, just visit www.airmanual.co forward slash webinar. Until next time, have fun.